Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. How has your experience been with being mindful of right speech over the last 24 hours or so? Anybody want to talk about it? Oh, I'm really here. Hmm? Anybody notice anything? Any eye making or lack of eye making? Lunch and dinner seem to have been very smooth, easy. I have to say, I was paying close attention to each and every one of you. And some of you did not. It, it was really remarkable that there was, I wouldn't say any example of what might be called wrong speech or speech that is rooted in eye making. We've really developed as a Sangha um, quite nicely, I would say, you know, and we're, we're um, I was noticing how supportive we are of each other in the Dhamma, in staying focused on the Dhamma while we're together. And that's the, one of the most important things that Buddha ever told his Sangha, one of the rules of the Sangha, is when you're gathered as a Sangha, you speak only of the Dhamma, meaning that you keep focused as we did. So we had all pleasant conversations, um, but I didn't, I didn't notice any tinge of eye making. And that really is remarkable. Um, I, I always enjoyed going out to dinner, but one of the things that always bothered me is many places that it, it just the noise would be unbelievable about people trying to talk over each other. Um, I've walked out of quite a few restaurants like that. Um, and we were, we were just having a pleasant conversation. And so that, that calm um, pleasantness that we we're all exampling for each other, that's just Dhamma practice. You know, we, we do it well together. Slav, how are you tonight? I'm good. Good. I'm glad you joined us again. We're going to get started. Um, so this section of the Satavatthana um, Sutta is called Mindfulness of the Sixth Sense Space. So this ties into what uh, Brian was, uh, Brian taught us tomorrow and the, the close um, linkage between the four foundations of mindfulness and the sixth sense space. So it is in our, through our senses that we recognize that we're either distracted or well concentrated. And so now the Buddha takes us into a little bit more nuanced and subtle forms of eye making. And he relates mindfulness to each one of, of these senses. And in other suttas, the Buddha talks about our senses have their own type of consciousness. In other words, our eyes have their own eye consciousness and ear consciousness, nose consciousness, meaning that on an individual cognitive level, level, when we see something, our mind is evaluating that in some way. And it's either attaching eye making to that eye, to the form of the eye in our body, right? And it's using the eye for eye making. I like that saying, eye for eye making. Or it's not, or it's using your eye or the rest of your senses for simply being present to be a reference point to what's occurring. 
And notice in this, uh, again, this is another short section, but there's so much in here, where the Buddha is saying, be mindful of such and such. He doesn't say when you find that you're distracted by your eye form to beat yourself up or judge yourself harshly in any way. As Brian taught this morning, he simply says, be mindful that that's what you're doing. Meaning be mindful that your eye is attached to something right now that you have to have. Or it's simply looking at a, at a, at a beautiful sunset or, or a beautiful Nina's baby and just being present with what's there. And so then each and every moment is naturally enhanced simply because you're there rather than coloring this, this moment in any way by using your senses <coughs> rooted in ignorance instead of now rooted in understanding. Meaning I have proper control of my senses and I'm using them in a mindful way. So the Buddha continues, furthermore, one remains mindful of the quality of mind in reference to the sixth sense base. That's also in reference to the fourth foundation of mindfulness, right? Simply being mindful of the present quality of the mind in and of itself, ardent and alert and mindful, meaning this is the quality of my mind. It's my mind. Why would I reject it? Just because it has a quality that in the past I was conditioned to, to, to hate. I would loathe conditions of my mind, self-loathing. But now I can experience any quality of mind and simply know that mind is that quality of mind is what's appropriate for what's occurring. And so whether it's a sad mind, a happy mind, a determined mind, which in the past you might have misconstrued and reacted to a determined mind that then fell into anger. But anger is just a determined emotion, isn't it? That usually gets the best, the best of us. We lose our minds over it. But now we can stay present with it because we understand that what is happening here is I'm coming in contact with the world. Why should I be pissed off at it? Why should I take it in any other way except the way it's presented? Why? Because up until now, I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to depersonalize each and every moment of my life. And so I personalized each and every moment of my life. There is dukkha. That's the first noble truth. And it resolves right here. Remain mindful of the I form and the clinging that arises from the I form. It's completely human to have clinging related to your I form. When your mind is rooted in ignorance, it's simply what you have to do. And again, the question, and I get asked this often, well, how did this happen? Why did we get born this way? That's the question you don't ask. That's the question that makes you crazy. And it's also the question that distracts you from what's occurring. What's occurring is the quality of my mind in this moment. Whether agitated or calm, it's still my mind. And if I start blaming you or the world for it, or what's going on in the world, or the, the wrong party got elected, or something's going on on the other side of the planet that I don't approve of, it, or I'm just living my life. And the occurrences of human life are the same for everyone, moment by moment. There's nothing new in the world. Nothing. Except man's inventions. But our reactions to that or our mindful response is what never changes. It's either rooted in understanding or it's rooted in ignorance. 
So even uh, Mr. Oppenheimer, who created, was mainly responsible for creating the atomic bomb during the Manhattan Project, is a brilliant scientist. But after he had made this great, this great understanding, he was terrified by what he had created because he understood the ramifications of it. But atomic energy has been a great blessing and a great curse, hasn't it? Depending on how human beings use it. Right? The problem isn't in the object. The problem always is in human intervention. And so where does that human intervention resolve? It's within me. It's not within you. Right? If I think that the resolution of behavior has to take place outside first before I recognize unskillful behavior in me, I'm always going to be disappointed because you can never satisfy me. The world can never satisfy me. Other people's behaviors can never satisfy me and they're none of my business. The only thing that is my business is my business is what's occurring here. Because it's the only reference point any of us have to our world, isn't it? So if we can maintain seclusion that we establish in jhana meditation, then our senses are being used as described in the um, resolution that I'll get to in just two sentences. And it is just this direct. Remain, just to say that again, remain mindful of the eye form and the clinging that arises from the eye form. It's as a consequence of having a human life. Be mindful of the arising of clinging to the eye form. Notice it. Be present for it. Don't make it be any different. Don't color it in any way. In fact, don't even color it in terms you might think are Dhamma terms. Like, uh-oh, I'm distracted. Simply recognize it. Take a breath. And let go of that. Now, the first is recognizing that I'm distracted by a thought or a feeling and directing my thoughts back to my breath. I think everyone here has been through the different levels of jhana. I'm not going to get too deep into it, but just to recognize that is going from the second to the third level of jhana as well. Recognizing at first that my thoughts are directed back to my breath, and now I'm just taking a breath after a breath after a breath. Our meditation our jhana, our concentration is increasing as we're not being distracted by our senses on our cushion or off. Does everybody follow me there? Be mindful that when clinging to the eye form is, my word here, my, in parentheses, is completely abandoned. Clinging to the eye form will not rise again. That's a promise that an awakened human being gave all of us from 2,600 years ago. It says, once you finally stop eye-making completely, you're liberated. You can be assured, inner poise, that it will not rise again. And how do you know when that's happened? When your mind is calm and peaceful. You notice it because you've been trained to notice it through your own Dhamma practice. And we all talk about this in each and every class, how we're doing just this at ever more deeper levels, more nuanced levels, levels, more subtle levels. And what are we getting to? Me. But in a completely impersonal way. I'm just learning what it means to be a human being in this body, a mind united in this body. 
right? It's all that any of us can ever know or hope to know of importance. I mean, you know, I, I learned how to put roofs on, but that didn't change a six property person, did it? And it doesn't do me any good as far as my common peaceful mind is concerned. It may, depending on how I move through that experience. But the quality of my mind is determined about my Dhamma practice, not whether I was the world's most successful roofer or anything else that I might do in my life, right? It all hinges on this, not taking any of these things personally. Remain mindful of the ear form and the clinging that arises from the ear form. Be mindful of the arising of clinging to the ear form. Be mindful when clinging to the ear form is completely abandoned, completely abandoned, clinging to the ear form will not rise again. Remain mindful of the nose form and the clinging that arises from the nose form. Be mindful of the arising of clinging to the nose form. Boy, that smells good. Be mindful of clinging to the nose form is completely abandoned. Be mindful that when clinging to the nose form is completely abandoned, clinging to the nose form will not arise in the future. So no matter what I smell, I won't take it personally. So I could, I remember, still remember driving through Bayonne for the first time when I was a kid. Smelling, that was the first time I really smelled pollution. I can still, hey, I mean, I can still remember what that smells like. It was awful. And I think we all rolled up the windows in my father's old Ford Country Squire station wagon. But it's just a smell, isn't it? Just like any other smell, just like the smells that we're so enamored with. You know, think about what we do because of feeding the nose. We'll spend hundreds of dollars on perfume or in my case, really cheap cologne. But to feed the eye, the nose form. And all the things that we do, just because we're so attached to experience, rather than simply being here. Ron, please. No, I was just thinking of the allure of Old Spice. <laughs> I, I don't think that's the right word to. <laughs> my father used to wear that. My I almost called it something else. When he just, <laughs> wait, what was he saying? He said, my father still wears it. Does he? Oh, that's good. <laughs> ah, okay. Remain mindful of the tongue form and the clinging that arises from the tongue form. Be mindful of the arising of the clinging to the tongue form. Be mindful that when clinging to the tongue form is completely abandoned, clinging to the tongue form will not arise in the future. What's that? Still waiting for that one. Yeah, we just experienced that at dinner. Didn't we? Mm -hmm. And so you can have a wonderful dinner like that, and that's enough, or you can keep thinking about it for the next one and the next one. Or tomorrow's meal wasn't as good as tonight's. Instead of just being present for each and everything that, excuse me, that occurs. Because dinner was much more enjoyable just being present for it, wasn't it? You know, and we and we still had a pleasant conversation, but we didn't get lost in it, and we all stayed present with a wonderful dinner, and then we're done with it, and now we're here doing this. And life is just like that, isn't it? It just flows from one conscious moment or well-concentrated moment to the next, or I interrupt it by reacting. You know, but now we know. We know when we're getting caught up in the world and losing our minds, and we know how to get back. Isn't it important, John, not to? use restraint 
and then punishment when you fail at that restraint versus just being aware. Yeah. Thank you, Davis. Yeah. So when when we find that we're caught up in one of our senses, like the Buddha describes here, it's common. You know, it's what human beings do. When we find that we're clinging to the eye form, we recognize. And when we completely abandon that, it's gone. But if we find that we're caught up in it and we start judging ourselves, really what we're telling ourselves is, I want to be attached to this. I want to cling to this forever and ever and ever, which is what happens unless we do something to interrupt it. And again, all of this, um, the distraction of ignorance and the, and the building of a conditioned mind that is conditioned to continue to ignore ignorance, it's included in the word, happens as a consequence of having a human life. But because of ignorance of Four Noble Truths, we continue to compound the, the conditioned mind until something arises in our lives and we realize that there's got to be something different. Life can't be this crappy or this confusing or whatever it might be. Or we might have a, a religious or a spiritual notion of how life might be. And that we're not living that. There's got to be some way of finding out that, that ineffable, you know, the mystical. Um, and so we start looking at things. In my case, I thought I'd find it in Eastern religions. And, um, and I did. But it wasn't until I abandoned most of Eastern religion and I came to this. But it was a sense of disappointment, a sense of dukkha that led me and all of us to be here right now in this moment, wasn't it? And so there's something within... Um, some human beings, you know, and I, I don't know that it's there for everyone, but it might be what the Buddha was referring to as those who just suspect a dust in their eyes. And somehow we seem to be able um, to see the Dhamma where some people just seem, again, to, from my experience and all of ours, though, they just don't seem to be able to see it. And again, so the question might be, well, why? Again, that, that, that's where we start losing our minds. And there was a long time when I used to try to figure that out because when I first started doing this, I thought that it was important that I reach every person that came into this room. And it used to bother me. I used to sit, you know, thinking for days, what happened to that person? What did I, what did I do wrong? How come I wasn't able to reach that person that didn't come back? Until I realized I was taking that person, wasn't it? I did the best I could and they weren't interested. That's all it is. And so not everybody has to be interested in, but the point is, I am, we are, and it works for us. And so we're, so it's, so we're able to make sense of something because we had just that speck of dust in our eyes where other people don't seem to be able to. And again, there's no why about that. There's no right or wrong, except for me to recognize how fortunate I am and they used to say this more often, that I have a mind that's able to understand this, that I think is the most important thing I've ever come across. And it's not that I have a special kind of mind. There's nothing special about me. I mean, if you, you, know, you want to hear my whole story, you have to admit I'm probably the biggest screw up that humanity's ever seen. But eventually, I came to this. And I'm not. At least to myself. Do you understand? So once I developed the Dhamma to a certain point, and I can't tell you when that was, I was liberated from the worry of having to be me and not being able to be me. Because none of us can fit into our fabrications. We can never, we can never aspire to the, 
to the stuff we make up in our heads about ourselves. But we, what we can be is present. Resting in this mindfulness, the Buddha taught us, animated now through our sixth sense base, through the, what we're supposed to be as human beings. We are supposed to be consciously animated through the sixth sense base, but not grasping after because of the sixth sense base. And this is what the Buddha is teaching us at a very profound level here. Remain mindful of the body form, meaning the touch senses and what happens to our body, of feeling the cool air, the warm air, etc. Be mindful of the body form and the clinging that arises from the body form. Be mindful of the arising of clinging to the body form. Be mindful that when clinging to the body form is completely abandoned, clinging to the body form will not arise in the future. Matteo started his talk today with something that was interesting, talking about sensuality and how most people, when you hear that word, I, I was like that, I think. When you hear the word sensual, it usually has, you're usually thinking of sexual rather than sensual. But Matteo was right. That's such a, a, um, a minor but important part of a human being's life, isn't it? But because it has um, so much wrapped around just the physical, as the Buddha's talking here, just the physicality of it, that we literally lose our minds over that too, don't we? Instead of what the Buddha teaches us is to be fully mindful and well concentrated for even something that is that sensually indulgent. And now it doesn't have to be sensually indulgent. It can be something like that, but now it's characterized by great generosity and, and mere presence. And boy, what a difference. But again, getting, getting back to what Matteo was talking about, and again, that's just a small part of our sensuality. But when we're using it correctly, when we're using our senses correctly, fully alive, but without me interpreting it, that is being alive, isn't it? And it's the only way we can really touch our humanity. Not through here, and not just through here, but through a mind united in this body, seeing things clearly without me in it. A mind united in this form, using this form as it's in, a, in its appropriate way, without me needing anything in this moment. And the Buddha says, if we can do that, now let me get back to that. Be mindful that when clinging to the body form is completely abandoned, clinging to the body form will not arise in the future. Another guarantee. And then the Buddha says, in this way, one remains mindful of the sixth sense base and the arising and passing away of the sixth sense base. In the moment, the sixth sense base arises and passes away, but also in relation to our life. The sixth sense base arose when our moms gave birth to us and the sixth sense base will pass away. The sixth sense base is the same metaphor as our breath, isn't it? And I think it was Brian or Mateo that said that all of this, again, is resolved in the four foundations of mindfulness, which resolves in our breath. The sixth sense base arises and passes away with each breath. Once the breath is gone, the sixth sense base is gone, isn't it? Once the breath is gone, what holds the sixth sense base together is gone. 
Once the sixth sense base is gone, John Haspel is gone. But until that point, John Haspel is alive. And I want to be alive for each and every moment that I got left. I probably have left than some of you, especially you, Julia, young whippersnapper. But even someone like Julia or someone like me or Ron that are closer to the end of the beginning, the moment or the amount of moments left doesn't matter, does it? What's most important is this moment. Human beings have been trying to understand eternity forever. We've been looking since we first started looking out at the stars. And we thought eternity was out there. How could eternity be out there? Out there is never here. But we get to touch eternity in each and every moment that we're mindful of this moment. Because that is the edge of eternity, isn't it? Isn't it? I don't know about you, but that notion blows my mind. We are on the edge of eternity. We're on the edge of human potential. Where's that empty bowl? And this is what we can make of each moment. You know, we can bring this empty bowl into each moment and be mindful of the possibilities of each moment, the opportunity for calm in each moment, period. Not for more, not for less. Each and every moment is an opportunity for calm. It's the greatest gift that anybody can give us, but they can't. But we give it to ourselves. In this way, one remains mindful of the sixth sense base and the arising and the passing away of the sixth sense base, independent of and not clinging to anything in the world. And then the Buddha says, this is how one remains mindful of the sixth sense base in and of themselves. It's up to us. That's the end of this section of the, of the sutta. Um, <clears throat> Slav, what do you think? Uh, I think a lot. <laughs> but uh, let me express. I think it's uh, very interesting how it's uh, laid down from mindfulness of the body and until uh, sixth sense. And it's very interesting because Buddha teach very particular way. He said, be mindful when it's arise and be mindful when it's pass away. If you clean to anything would arise, you create yourself. And creating yourself is wrong view and it's dukkha and all hateful persons uh, got ignored and for noble true got ignored. As soon you create yourself. And thank you. Thank you for refresh. Thank you, Slav. Where's that cat? Jennifer. Uh oh. There you are. How are you, Jennifer? Good. Thank you for the teaching. <clears throat> I'm taking that in, even though it's taking over silence. There's a lot there when you realize what we're what we're talking about. There is a lot. And in the end, there's really not much. It's just knowing what it means to be in this body, you know, fully present, with our senses alive and no longer 
hiding them from from fear or anxiety, you know, or or having to see things in a certain way. Yeah, you know? yeah. This is it, it feels like new information or new awareness. Yeah. You know, I'll sit on it and think it. And, yeah. Okay. them all. <laughs> Thank you, John. <clears throat> Well, it was nice to be reminded that the thing to do is be in the moment, especially when you get close to the, when you've been here longer than you're going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, <clears throat> sometimes can get out of the idea that this is the only moment you have. Mm-hmm. And please, you know, be present for this moment because... That's going to make you uh, calm, and you'll be able to be present for those you love. Yeah. And what else is important? Be be present for yourself. Yeah. I I just need a a second. Someone wants to come in, and I I don't know who it is, so I might have to get them out quick. But let's see. Uncle, somebody. It's Uncle George. I'd be running out of here for one. <laughs> hello, Uncle Uncle. Would you like to say hello? Hello? Jen, can you read? I, maybe I'm reading the name wrong. Dean? Uncle, Uncle Dean. Uncle, Uncle Dean. Uncle, Uncle Dean, would you like to say hello and identify yourself? Mm. Okay. Yeah, I can't see. Can you just close, you know, close it out? Yeah. It's not going to help. Let me just turn it in and start. Yep. And we couldn't mm, figure out. Don't report or something. No, don't Sorry. Thank you, Becky. <laughs> thank you, John. Julia. John, thank you. Um, I have nothing to share, but uh, taking it all in as well. Thanks a lot. Thank you, too. Dama teacher Brian. Hi, John. Um, Anything that you're adding after you've made contact with the outside world in the sixth sense space is deleted thinking. Yeah, it's all fluff. It's all greed, aversion, or deleted thinking. Yeah. And David said for months, and I finally had the experience where energy all starts at the point of contact. Like, I finally got that. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, anything additive after that is just irrelevant. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Jane. Thank you, John. What I wanted to say, Becky said, I'm sure much better. I just want to piggyback on Becky. We've been doing that today. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> We've nice. been doing that for years. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. Laura? Thank you, John. I like this teaching a lot. It's very helpful, and it made me think of how strong that connection is with 
and memory, especially. Yeah. I've brought up like an example before in class how even if you're concentrated and maybe in a meditative state, and but if I can all like cut grass, then immediately I think of my dad and like my dad cutting the lawn when I was younger, or like being on the lawnmower with him, whatever. Yeah. Then I go down this path of deluded thinking when I start thinking of how things are now or what's going through, blah, blah, blah. Even like, yeah, smelling something. It can be various. Like that connection in the brain for some reason, because um, of the way we're wired, it's just instantaneous. It's hard to create that space sometimes when you're going, you know, with that memory. It can be filled with really strong emotions. And yep. That can lead to deluded thinking, but after hearing this, I realized, you know, just coming back to the breath and the body can really interrupt that, you know, constant deluded thinking. You know, it doesn't have to go beyond that pleasant memory, or even if it was a, an unpleasant memory. Yeah. It can be difficult, but. That's what I was thinking about that smell, memory, connection. It's really strong. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's very powerful. I, when I smell grass, almost every time smelling cut grass, you mentioned, I, I think of myself standing on a, on a little fence in our backyard listening to the 69 Mets in the World Series. <laughs> on a, transist, a little transistor radio. <laughs> yeah. Not all the time, but most of the time. Uh, let's see who's here. Future Dhamma teacher Mary, if you're lucky, we'll <laughs> find out tomorrow. If you're lucky, you are lucky. She is 12, but she's not So we just say it's just a burn, you know. <laughs> And that's where we are. <laughs> <laughs> Twelve-year-olds. <laughs> um, I was thinking about how, um, you know, like the 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 innocence of selling the cut grass, and then. You know, it could be a charming memory or it might be something you feel you need to explore because that's how we think we're supposed to be. And it's just an example of something that's taking you out of the here and now. Yeah. And so uh, I think I've said this before that when you, when you, you know, when you're feeling certain emotions, they represent the past. And then when you experience emotions like fear, you know, you're in the future. Right, and you're mm -hmm. you're out of your center. You're not present. You're, and as Brian said, and I'm carrying with me, you're outside of the eightfold path. It's like such a clear indicator. Yet we sometimes find joy in that memory, or we think we have to analyze it. You know, what is that nugget from my childhood? We, yeah. you know, we think we're supposed to, like in a good way. We think, okay, this might be healthy. Maybe I'm onto something, right? Sure. But the permission not to have to do that, or the permission to, like maybe that 
that little nugget is going to bubble up some other time. But we don't have to, that's not a good use of our investigation and our time. Oh. It takes us out of right here and now. But more importantly, it takes us off the path. Yeah. And that's what everything is about. So every student we've listened to is, um, you know, about the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And I think, you know, I'm seeing that more and more clearly, even though obviously that's what this is all about. But um, I guess I've just seen a little bit differently and, um, and it's just very, very helpful for recognizing, you don't have to recognize what it is, you just have to recognize where you are yeah. And then you need to get back on the path. Yeah. You're outside the path. If you have any mm -hmm. kind of uh, disruption, distraction, you are off the path. And you can tell yourself a lot of stories as to why you might chase after something, you know? I mean, movies and everything is built on that. Yeah. And so that's happening many times a day to every mm -hmm. one of us. And being aware of it and then interrupting it and interrupting the eye making that's associated with following that sensual pleasure, for example, um, and realizing that there's eye making there is like a, a great thing, right? Because you can see it and then say, okay, take a breath, I'm going to interrupt it, and voila, I'm back. Yeah. So, I mean, that. Like, I know that, I knew that before I walked in the door, but I know, know it tonight. <laughs> and you know what to do about it. Yeah. So, thank you. Yeah, Mary, I think no one, none of our teachers, uh, and you're not one yet, none of our teachers um, is, speak so clearly and consistently about the importance of the framework of the Eightfold Path. Mm -hmm. You really, and you, you've been saying that for years now about always coming back to the pit. It's funny because I feel like it's in my preparation for hopefully it will go well tomorrow morning. It's in my preparation for that that I feel like I just figured that out. So I appreciate that insight. But that was something that occurred during the two weeks of kind of getting ready for tomorrow's talk. I was like, I was just getting it all in a different way. Let's go through that too. I can't wait. I mean, I don't have much confidence, so I can't wait anyway. <laughs> a little off topic, but Please. it might be something worth. I found so much value in preparing that, you know, it might be something that some people want to just go through without ever becoming a teacher, per se, without well, having to carry that title, but they might want to do that as part of their development. Mm -hmm. I just found it. Now that you said it, one of the right. one, of, That's one right. of my thoughts <laughs> when we were first, um, the, when the first four teachers uh, wanted to start the teacher training was not just that there'd be someone here when the old pooch is gone, but also just that it would deepen all of those, the four, yeah. it would deepen their Dhamma practice. So whether they ever be taught or not. Right wasn't important so all of you could think about that we have a teacher's program whether you intend to be a teacher or not you'll learn a lot 
about the Dhamma just having that additional structure beyond mm -hmm. just the just the Eightfold Path, but having that focus. And so, just uh, teach yourself. Yeah, and again, any any time you want to take up teacher training, there's a way to begin it. You know, talk to me or talk to one of the other teachers, and we'll get you going. Uh, just to say it again, Slav has just began his teacher training uh, this, just this past week. And so in 20 or 30 years from now, we'll have another. <laughs> Shortly, we'll have another Dhamma teacher in the fold. But we'll have I think we're going to have one more at least tomorrow. Right? <laughs> have some confidence. Dhamma teacher David. I always imagine. point of contact depending on your duration and then your practice is right there mm. right there that's that's that difference between not being aware of all those senses and the practice allows you to be aware and that's where you can understand the feelings and then the clinging, the craving. And that's where it all occurs. And when you replace the understanding from that ignorance, then when you put it into the context, this isn't so difficult to understand. Well, and there, yeah, that's how the context. That's the context of it. When we do this teaching, this, this sutta, it's easy to see it all chopped up. But when you put it all together and then lay it over, depending on origination, that's in context. Yeah. So it makes sense. It, it, it's digestible. It's, it's doable. It's not this thing I have to figure out. It just yeah. becomes what you are. Thank you. I, I think you more than than any any of our other teachers um, frame it, the Dhamma uh, in reference to the uh, to dependent origination more than any of us. Again, it's interesting how we all are. Um, it's like that that Chinese riddle about the touching different blind people touching different parts of the elephant and how they interpret it different. You know, we're all teaching the same thing, but we have such um, nuanced approaches, you know, and I think you, you saw it this week and certainly with Brian and Mateo and you'll see it tomorrow, but whenever any of our other teachers teach, um, I mean, I'm, I, I get so much out of listening to other teachers and, you know, I didn't, I was doing this all by myself until Tamara next door asked me to start teaching meditation. But this wasn't my intention, but I am so fortunate to be a part of this Sangha. Uh, and, and then to, to have, remember, I never had a teacher in this, but now I do. And I don't know if you can understand what that's like, but I have my own Dhamma teachers. And it's not just our teachers, it's all of you. But I am, it's like Lou Gehrig said, I am the luckiest man in the face of the That's how I feel. No, that's not. I always wanted him. I always thought Lou Garrick would have a great voice. 
I wish I could cover my ass all the time. <laughs> now I'm a teacher wrong. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting today for me to go through all this <clears throat> and uh, have my <clears throat> my six cents base, <laughs> you know, poured over with molasses <laughs> <laughs> and, and still enjoy being here and, and listening. Seeing new teachers, you know, give a new, fresh <clears throat> um, look, you know, allow me a new, fresh look at, at the Dharma. And it's just, um, it's a great help for my practice. It's, it's just a joy. It's just a joy. I agree. Even with a cold, it's a joy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Even the implication that my teacher was getting moldy when we fresh. <laughs> Dama <Moldy>. teacher Chen. <laughs> moldy. <laughs> so, ear consciousness is. What did you say? Ear, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is an arising at the ear for. Hearing, hearing something, and your orientation to that sound determines whether there's clinging to that sound. Yeah. Can you uh, explain a little more about what you mean by orientation? So that's... if you're hearing the sound, then you've joined with it. But if you're... That's your orient, that, that's your yeah, point of orientation. Right, yeah, if you're brilliant. observing that you're hearing it, then you're not clinging to it. Yeah, you're just present. And I, even beyond mere observing, I think it's not, you know that those of fans of Robert Heinlein would know the word grok. <laughs> it's um, Michael, what was his name? Michael, what was Michael Smith. Smith. Michael what Smith. Was what he meant, what Michael Smith, the great Martian, meant is not just an understanding, but an, an experiential, complete understanding of whatever it is. I mean, so much so that Michael Smith would lose his mind in the novel about it because it was such a powerful experience and he would the discorporate was the word oh, that yeah. Heinlein used. But we don't have to discorporate, but <clears throat> hearing the sound just for the pure sound mm, is, mm. is powerful just because it's a sound, because you're present for it. And that's what you're that's what you're describing. Is just because my orientation is is not grasping after. Right, right, right. You know, it, it it, then the sound, it doesn't, I can say it washes over you like at a right. concert, but it's really. It arises and passes away at the ear. Yeah. And, and then using the ear as the metaphor, then, yeah. then all of life has its own melody right. and its own harmony too, because you're just, you're just seeing it and feeling it. So that they're using that word orientation. I don't think you ever used it. I don't think we have. I but. feel like I, I've. I feel like I've used it. I feel like, feel like that you used it. Yeah, well, maybe yeah. it's a good word. Is that stranger in a strange land? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Maybe. 
The greatest story ever told. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. You know, before I get to Matt, I'm probably going to cry, but <coughs> and I usually wait till the end of the retreat. But I'm doing it now, so I don't fall apart. We, I, and I say this all: we wouldn't be here. This is this is Matt's place of business. This is healing path acupuncture, and it's really out of out of uh, Matt's good graces that we're here. Um, and think about what he's done. I mean, he Matt. It's not easy just to keep a business going today. And it's not easy to keep a business going in expensive French town. And he's done it for many years. Um, successful because of who he is, not, you know, not for any other reason. And to put it this way, we're really the benefits of Matt's largesse. And again, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you, Matt. Thank you. What do you have to say for yourself now? <laughs> well, um... It's because of our shared um, awe and usefulness of the Buddha's brilliance that we have this Dhamma that can be taught and is taught here and you know sensuality the sixth sense base ear consciousness eye consciousness nose consciousness taste consciousness touch consciousness all those things as an expression of our sensuality, our humanity, is a flame, a flame with the fires of passion. Always, until the Buddha put together a path that can restrain that heedlessness and that out of control inferno that is the uh, consciousness at the sixth sense base and it's just so profound as i know everyone in this room understands now and has for 10 years now that this path of practice that we have inherited and continue to transmit is um, of true and profound benefit for us all. And everyone that we meet, everyone that we see, everyone that we talk to, everyone that comes in contact with us in our own circles, in our own world, in our own way, benefits from what John has taught us here and what the Buddha taught and what the Buddha taught was four noble truths and eightfold path, and that that path is redundant now. But that path of practice is how to live in the world 
without being completely consumed by the total sensory overload that this world offers us. And if, if we don't have a path to limit this, then we, we, we've all seen what happened. You know, we, we, people die from drugs and alcohol and all manner of insanity every day, every day. And that's all self-inflicted. And so the Buddha gave us this path and John teaches this path. Fortunately for us, John teaches it here. <laughs> Me too. Where would I be? <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Thanks for that. And I want to point out to everyone, I must be growing up because I didn't cry that time when I was talking about it. I almost did that night. We're getting, we're getting through dinners. With, I mean, <laughs> yeah. We're doing all kinds of stuff. <laughs> this stuff must really work. <laughs> uh, it, we're going to finish soon, but does anybody have anything they'd like to talk about or bring to our sangha? Great insights that you've realized the last couple of days. You're enjoying staying off your cell phones and social media. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, continue to do so. Just, uh, just a little bit longer. Give yourself that break. Um, we're going to start again at nine tomorrow with Qigong again, um, and then our Mary's going to teach our class tomorrow on the seven factors of awakening. And then I'll conclude. We're going to have a break, maybe an hour in between the two sessions, and then we'll conclude uh, probably around noontime tomorrow with one more class. Um, something else I wanted to say, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, just we're, um, we have three more classes left in our jhana structured study. Um, one of them is going to be a brand new sutta. Um, one is going to be a sutta that I haven't taught since 2016, I think. Um, so we'll have, it's a, it's a, be an interesting uh, finish to jhana. And then to finish out the year, we're going to have an, uh, a structured study on the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path with an individual sutta for each aspect. In other words, a sutta for the First Noble Truth, a sutta for the third factor of the Eightfold Path. Um, and I think you're going to find that very interesting and informative. Um, and then we're going to begin next year, not with the truth of happiness, but about a 10-class course on right view in relation to the five clinging aggregates. In other words, right view in relation to the personal experience of stress and suffering. So I think that's going to be a nice way to start the year in the right direction, right view. And then we'll do the truth of happiness, and then we'll probably do the Vipassana structured study, I think. Is all that good stuff coming up. All right. We'll finish with meta as we always do. Oh, wait, there's still. Oh. You still there, Slav? Yeah. Slav won't be able to join us tomorrow. I'm so glad you could join us tonight, Slav. Are you? Uh, are you? Is the camera still? Oh, yeah. Still, cool. Does it need to be this way now? Yes. There we go. There he is. There's that cute guy. <laughs> <laughs>
What are you laughing at? <laughs> I meant you. <laughs> I know, but. <laughs> so what about uh, you're going to receive certificate to Brian today? Oh, you missed it. Yeah, we, I just before we started, I'm sorry. Oh, Brian got okay. his certificate. Yeah. Okay, but Brian, congratulations. Thanks, buddy. Oh. I hope to see you in Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah, you guys got to get together. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Well, I'm glad you joined us, Slav. We'll see you soon. See you next week anyway, right? All right, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful session tonight. See you all in the morning. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.